0: Lord Jesus, thank you for uh, the opportunity to open up the Holy Word and to learn what it means to uh, be your people. More importantly, to learn about you, who you are, what you've done, what you will be doing. Lord, uh, work in our hearts to be jealous for your glory. And for those uh, who right now don't, don't know much about the gospel, who We pray that you would encourage them right now to see their need, Jesus, and that we would respond uh, in repentance and worship, Lord. Holy Spirit, use this time and open up your word uh, to bring glory to Christ. We ask that you would use me, guide me, Jesus, that I can honor you, make much of you. In Christ's name, amen. You may be seated, family. If you need Bibles, they should be in the pews. we are uh, going to do just a couple things actually today. So, um, we're, we're looking at the book of Exodus. This is where we've been. Uh, we are in Exodus. Uh, last week, we I hit Exodus uh, 30, 35 and th- a little 36, and now we are uh, hitting uh, 36, 37, and a little bit of 38, and it's going to be kind of an overview, so don't be nervous about that. Uh, here just to give us a snapshot of what's been going on, uh, it's an exciting book, and you guys have been awesome as we've gone through it for a year and some months. Uh, the hope is is that you have learned more and are learning more about who God is, uh, because the whole book's about that. The whole book, you know, I would say even the, the Bible in itself is about who God is and you know, what is our response to those realities. And and here in Exodus is a beautiful theme because. Uh, we are all at some level like learning what does it mean to be God's people, right? And so uh, some of us have, have been Christians for a while. Some of us have just come to Christ. Uh, but in the same light, uh, in the same vein, you had uh, the people in Exodus. They, uh, they're in slavery. Uh, they, they had a history uh, with Yahweh. Uh, they get caught up uh, in paganism and, and, and being enslaved and in God and his faithfulness instead of the keep. Instead of keeping them in that state, uh, they cried out to God. God heard their cry. Uh, This was an opportunity for God to be exalted. Why? Because he was able to remind the people that they need him, right, through even their experience, which is what he does with us many times, right? Uh, But also, he was able to, in that, remind the world that there is one God. He's that God, and there is no one that can even compare uh, to the power of the All-Majesty on High, Yahweh. And so what he does, he takes the, uh, in, his, in his goodness, he takes the most powerful nation uh, in creation at that time and just, uh, with his word, uh, dispels of them. And he saves his people. He draws them out of, of Egypt. And then during that time, he provides all these different miracles that we begin to see uh, with, as we move through the book of Exodus to, to validate his power, his reign, his sovereignty, which means that God controls everything. That's a big word that it says. There's nothing that's happening in the world that the, that the Lord is not controlling. And so he wants the people to see that. And then when they see that, uh, we, we get back, we get to Exodus 20 where God says, now you know a little bit about what I, who I am and my power. Now I want to kind of take you through detox." All the stuff you've been learning before I saved you out of Egypt. You know, all the pagan rituals, the, the superstitions, the horoscopes, all the stuff that we go through when we try to make our own, guys. He's like, I want to kind of take you, demythologize you, take the myths out of your life and fill them with truth. And I want you to know who I am. So then you get things like the Ten Commandments and you get the 613 ordinances. You get all these rules and things of that sort. And there's uh, two big reasons for that, right? First... Because we don't know how to navigate God's world, and so God is like, "Let me help you. This is actually for your benefit. For me to give you parameters of what does it mean to navigate the world that I've created for you, right? It's not just rules. If you think it's a lot of times you think rules are to kind of hold us back, where God is like, I'm giving you rules so you don't destroy yourself. In the same way as a parent, I, I, we talk about this a lot. What we do in life. Is that is, is at any level, even for unbelievers, the common grace that God has given us, I mean, say it when I say common grace, the Bible shows that there is this grace that God has given us an unmerited favor where he says, because I'm good, I've created everybody with this grace, this unmerited favor. I made you human. You can talk, you can love, you do things like that, that I do because I created you. That's called common grace. And then he gives a salvific grace. What that means, that's for those of you who he's touched your heart and he allowed you not to just destroy yourself and live a, a, a folly-filled life and think you can be your own God and then go through life worshiping and serving yourself and, 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 and grab and hold the plastic things and then eventually being destroyed forever. He didn't allow you to do that, but instead he gave you salvific grace. He, he said, look, you, you're crazy, and what I'm going to do but without me touching your heart, without me showing you your sin, without me showing you that you are evil and that I'm good, you're going to destroy yourself. Instead, I'm going to allow you not to do that. I'm going to, as it were, remake you. I'm born again is the term. You hear that a lot. That's what that means. What God does, he says, the first birth was messed up because you were created and you were sinful by nature. What I'm going to do is I'm going to rebirth you spiritually. I'm going to allow you to experience that salvific grace. But in that, what God does, I love how even for all of us, both of those graces, he allows us to do things that just retells his story, that retells his story. And so something simple as parenting. Parenting is just you just retelling the story of God, right? The things you do in parenting, when you get a baby that loves, a a mom or dad that loves their child and, and tells the child, don't put your hand on the stove, that ain't nothing but God just saying, you retelling my story. The reason why I give rules is so you don't burn yourself, right? If you just let a child just know, hey, baby, I'm so glad you're here. Just go, do what they're going to (laughs) do. How long do you think that baby going to last in your house? Hmm? Okay? Right? I mean, the reality is, just like I was when I was a kid, and many of us, I tell people all the time, my boys, it's like they try to invent ways of how to kill themselves, I mean, they're like, well, if I jump through this thing and that big sharp thing, if I can get over that, I'm like, what are you doing, right? So that's what, so so what God does, when you look at those, those rules, he's trying to help constitute, here's what it looks like to navigate my world, but also the rules are there to show you who he is, to say, let me just make it really clear to you, because I'm so holy and perfect, I'm so awesome, I'm, I'm, the, the Bible says I'm rich in mercy, all powerful you cannot just run up on me and do whatever you want to do okay yes there are rules and just like as it were again I'll use a parent analogy that's how it is in life whether you're a Christian or not guess what you do as a parent you set rules you know why because Connor needs to know as my oldest son that I'm daddy I'm not your boy right you don't talk to me like you talk to Connor Patty y'all friends that's cool but counterpart your peer. I'm your daddy. Right? That's, everybody, everybody does that. So, so what God says, he says, guess what? You know what? I love that you, Moses and Aaron, hang out together and y'all do that. But when you with God, there's a certain way you're going to act because of who I am. And so then we see God provide those ordinances and we see the book of the covenant, we have, the, we have all these different rules of the, the, uh, the, the Ten Commandments. And then we have what's called the book of the covenant that happens in chapters 24 through 30. And we, we looked at that for a while, right? And what we're looking at right here in, uh, in, in, in Exodus chapter 35 through 39, actually, and we were in 35 a little bit ago. What we're looking at throughout all those chapters is something really cool is um, much of the material uh, is, is actually duplicated from the book of the covenant, the Exodus 24 through 30, right? If you remember that, uh, it's, it's a lot of the same stuff when you go through uh, the passage. The difference is that in the earlier passages, what God was doing, he was kind of commanding the way the tabernacle was to be built. So you, look, you see that in Exodus 30, and you go on, he was commanding the ways that the tabernacle should be built, okay? But then what happens is they fall into sin in Exodus 32 and 34, they begin to build a golden calf, Right? And what's amazing is that we get Exodus 35 through 39, which is actually God saying, here's what I asked him to do, which, by the way, I want you to keep coming up here and, and kind of testing yourself based on the information that you've gotten from the teachings and make sure that you can acknowledge each piece of the tabernacle, the tent of meeting, was in the Holy of Holies, so you would understand what's going on when Jesus talks about these things and when you see these things talked about in the Old Testament, by the way. But what happens in Exodus 35 through 39 is God is showing something so beautiful, we talked about this last week, that in the midst of the people who actually built a gold cow to worship, those people, God said, I'm going to have those people be the same people who are going to build the Holy Tabernacle. That blows me away. I mean, if that's not a a picture of hope for you and me, what is? That's a beautiful, just pause and think about that. That's how merciful our Lord is. And so we get to see 35 through 39 being the actual construction of the tabernacle that he told them to build back in the day. That's so beautiful. It's a beautiful thing. So we see Moses and these leaders carrying out the instructions that God had previously given the people of God uh, before they built the golden calf in Exodus 32 34. Let me give you a few tidbits uh, as we, before we jump into the text. Remember this, though. Uh, one thing is that the order of the, just when you read in that text, the, basically before the order of uh, the description was. Uh, was mostly spoken like what was most holy. So when you're going through the chapters, it was kind of like what's most holy to like the, the, the least holy to kind of talk about the importance. But in, in Exodus 35 to 39, uh, the construction is put together differently uh, to actually talk about basically the order of how things were actually made. Okay, so that's, just a, so, you, so that's just a tidbit for you as you're reading the text. The first time is kind of like what's most holy to least holy. So it almost goes from like from inner, inner sanctuary to the ark you know, all the way out. And then in 35 through 39, it goes uh, from what was made first all the way in. Uh, another tidbit that I want us to keep in mind as you're reading the text, and this is for you uh, when you're in the Bible and you're reading Exodus on your own, remember what uh, it is they are building, family. Don't forget this, all right? Remember this. This is the holy, holy God. And I'm blown away that the people of God were walking with him in the wilderness, and what were they camping with? Tents. And then think of the fact that, the, that Yahweh, the God of the universe, says, hey, what I want to do is I want you to make me, as it were, a tent. Isn't that, isn't that crazy? A dwelling place, a tent. That, that in essence, the reason why that's, that's very important It it shows the condescension of God. It shows the the deep humility of Yahweh. It shows how he is always, as it were, leading from the front, right? You ever meet cats, they tell you to do something, but they don't want to model it themselves, (laughs) right? Those are hard people to follow, right? You always talking, right? What you see all the way throughout the canon of Scripture is God always leading from the front. He's always doing it and showing you, do what I do. And as it were, you have Yahweh, the creator of all things, saying, I'm going to live in a tent with you. I'm going to tabernacle with you. I'm going to be with you, and I'm going to kind of decrease, as it were, my glory so that I can be with you in this wilderness. It's a beautiful picture of, of the mercy and grace of God and how he's like, man, I don't all claim my rights, but I'm always yielding my rights for the greater glory. And that's nothing... That's nothing Short of this, what he's, he's telling us to do in our life. And we'll see, see that through Jesus in Philippians 2. This is nothing new. When We talk about that. When you get into the, uh, you start reading the New Testament, don't be looking for like new stuff. All God is doing is showing you in a bigger and beautiful way how Jesus tells the beautiful story of what God has done throughout Scripture. So they're building this tent. This is a tremendous sign of this condensation. Surely, I'm blown away that uh, the, the God that made the universe as it were, isn't he a little worth more than being in a tent? But yet he's willing to do that for us. Uh, one more point of navigation as you're reading the text on your own family. Uh, this is kind of just a brief overview as we're almost ending the book. Uh, <clears throat> chapter 36 basically um, is, is talking about the tabernacle uh, as a whole, and that's the focus, right? So 36 is like, here's the whole tabernacle. And then chapter 37, um, actually talks about the tabernacle, the dwelling, the dwelling place of God, uh, as basically focusing in on the equipment of the tabernacle. And if you are here right now, you are on such a moving train. If you haven't been a part of the series, so you're like, we're talking about tabernacle, I want to encourage you to go re- listen to some of the... Uh, Listen to the stuff online, because this is a lot, but hopefully you will be encouraged as well. And so that's the movement. 36 has the, the whole focus of the tabernacle in mind. Uh, chapter 37 has the equipment in mind. And what I want to do is I want to make two quick comments. I'm going to read through the equipment. Chapter 37, I'm going to leave the uh, 36 to you, and then we're going to talk. I'm just basically going to give a couple comments, and we're going to worship God, hopefully in what God is showing us through uh, those few comments. It says... In chapter 1 of 37. So we're still we're on the same page. You guys see where we are, how we got here? If you are, say amen. amen. All right. So we're in chapter thirty-seven. The people of God uh, are—we're are, able to see God bragging about Himself by seeing the people of God be obedient. They're actually building what He's told them to build. Uh, he's, he's gathered the people. Uh, we just saw last week—they've gathered the resources. We're going to see a little bit of that again. The people of God gather the money and all this stuff to the point where God is—I mean, where uh, Moses and them are like, "Look, stop giving us resources. We got enough." It's a beautiful picture of the people of God responding to God because of what God has done. He saved them, and now they're like, man, I here, Lord, this is is the least I can do when I realize the mercy that has been poured out on me. Mercy poured out on you requires a response. It says, verse 1, Bezalel made the ark of acacia wood. So now we're talking about the ark of the covenant. This is actually where the presence of God was going to be residing. If you remember a long time ago, uh, because it's been a while, we've been preaching on this, uh, we talked about the beauty of, of the Holy of Holies and how imagine you had, uh, you, had the, uh, you had coverings over this place, the tent of meeting, okay? And then you had the lampstand, which to remind you and me, we'll talk about this in a moment, of, 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 of God's presence, right? As it were, the light of the world. See, these traditions that we have uh, throughout our culture uh, have deep, deep theological inferences, right? And so when we talk about light, we serious, right? Without God, this world is dark. And so God wanted cast to understand that 1,500 so years ago, as it were, uh, actually 3,500 years ago from now, to say, hey, when you walk up in there, I want you to, you know, and many people can see this. just the priests. The people, out, we were all out here. You can go and get, try and get a little peek. And what you saw was a little light just to remind you, Yahweh's still present with us. He's still present with us. Right? But then the thing that I always told you about, which was crazy, is that when you got into the Holy of Holies where there was another covering right here, imagine that. Imagine you knew that the presence of God was there and only the high priest could go in there and only once a year. Right? But it gets even crazy, remember? Because imagine you're that high priest. And you go in and it's pitch black. No light, right? And it, and you gotta go in there, and the, the cover falls. <laughs> I mean, you start doing some life, some life assessment, right? Can you imagine the fear? I mean, some of us scared to go in the basement. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I mean, think about that. That's that's on purpose, though, for God. God wants you to know, dude. You need to have great reverence. You about to step up in here? You need to pause. So he's making that ark out of acacia wood. It says two cubits and a half was this length. Stay with me, family. A cubit and a half its breadth and a cubit and a half its height. Verse 2. And he overlaid that it with pure gold inside and outside. Isn't that cool? Can you imagine that? And made a a molding of gold around it. Beautiful. And he cast uh, for it four rings of gold for its feet, two rings on its one side and two rings on its other side. And he made poles of acacia wood and overlaid them with gold as well. You couldn't touch the ark because this was where, the result, where God resided. So you had to build poles, right, to carry it. It's so cool. Even the poles that were touching, they had to be gold. Verse 5. And, the, and, poles, uh, and put the poles into the rings on the sides of the ark to carry the ark. And he made a mercy seat of pure gold. So that wasn't just some wood, you know, outside. It was pure gold. Two cubits and a half was its length, and a cubit and a half its breadth. Verse seven, and he made two cherubim of gold. He made them of hammered work on the two ends of the mercy seat. So imagine, it's trying to picture this in your mind as you're hearing this, right? One cherub on one end, one cherub on the other end of one piece with the mercy seat. He made the cherubim on its two ends. The cherubim spread out their wings above overshadowing the mercy seat with their wings, with their faces one to another. Facing this way toward the mercy seat uh, were faces of the cherubim. Verse 10, making of the table. He also made the table of acacia wood. Two cubits was its length, a cubit its breadth, and a cubit and a half its height. And he overlaid it with gold and made a molding of gold around it. And he made a rim around it and hand hand breadth wide and made a molding of gold around the rim. He cast... uh, for it four rings of gold and fastened the rings to the four corners of its four legs, close to the frame were the rings as holders for the poles to carry the table. He made the poles of acacia wood to carry the table and overlaid them with gold, and he made the vessels of pure gold that were, were to be on the table, its plates and dishes for incense, and his bowls and flagons uh, with which to pour drink offerings. He at Verse 17, he also made the lampstand of pure gold family. He made the lampstand of hammered work, its base, its stems, its cups, its calyxes, and its flowers were of one piece with it. And there were six branches going out of its size. There are three branches of the lampstand out of one side of it and three branches of the lampstand out of the other side of it. Three cups made like almond blossoms, each with calyx and flower on the one branch, and three cups made like almond blossoms each with calyx and flower on the other branch. So for the six branches going out of the lampstand. So this is what you have here. Beautiful, ornate lampstand we're talking about. And on the lampstand itself were four cups made like almond blossoms with their calyxes and flowers. Verse 21, and a calyx of one piece with it under each pair of the six branches going out of it. Calyx being like the little green thing. Like, you know, before when a rose is like not a rose yet, and it's a, it's a green thing, and it pops out, and that... Green stuff on the bottom, that's, that's what a calyx is. Don't think I'm real smart. I YouTubed it. Uh, so their calyxes and their branches were of one piece with it. The whole of it was a single piece of hammered work of pure gold. Verse 23, and he made it seven lamps uh, and its tongs and its trays of pure gold. He made it and all his utensils out of a, a talent of pure gold. He made the altar of incense of acacia wood. So Now we're talking about the altar of incense. Uh, its length was a cubit and its breadth was a cubit. It was square and two cubits was its height. Its horns were one piece with it. He overlaid it with pure gold, its top and around its sides and its horns. And he made a molding of gold around it and, and made two rings of gold on it under his molding on two opposite sides of it as holders for the poles with which to carry it. Verse 28, we're almost done. And he made the poles of acacia wood and overlaid them with gold. He made the holy anointing oil also, and the pure fragrant incense blended as the perfumer. And so you see here, he makes this, um, and you, 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 the beauty of it, you get to see he makes the ark, which was the focal point of the Holy of Holies, right? Um, Showing that that God is with his people. But then you also have to continue to show God with his people and continue to think, why is he sharing all this? What's God big picture? Why is God doing this? He then makes the table of the presence, the presence of bread, right? When you have the presence of bread, when you think of bread, you think of Jesus talking about Lord, like uh, basically uh, th- we don't live on, on bread alone, but every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God, right? Bread throughout the Bible and in life, as we all know, uh, model sustenance, right? Uh, that basically bread was a uh, symbolic of God providing as it were for his people, right? As, you, as it were, manna from heaven, that God, God is a provider. Just to remind you that when you see these different symbols, it's, it's talking about God's presence with us and his provision. I would propose to you is retelling the story of, of how we are. As it were, even I would talk about, even when you think about a husband and a wife, you know, uh, just being a provider. Making sure that you're caring. You're retelling that story of God. This is what the, the bread means. It symbolizes God's provision for the people of Israel. Uh, then we see the lampstand. He moves into the lampstand, and he talks about uh, this, this altar of incense as well, which, again, shows the, uh, that, that, that God is providing for his people, that God is uh, he's, he's there. He's in the midst of his people. And then we see this sense of these poles and rings and all of these things because God is going, he's, he's not just stagnant, but he's actually, when they move somewhere, God moves with them. God is with his people. So these are some of the, uh, the big picture things that, that God is, 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 is creating here. And so the question before you and me is like, what is God really trying to say here? You got this huge sacrificial system and we talked about many different things that God is saying throughout the sacrificial system. Uh, his, but I want to focus on two today. I propose to you, the main things that right now we're continually are coming up is that God wants us to see that he is a God that loves us. And that he is a God that is holy. That he is a God that loves us. And that he's a God that is holy. And that every portion of what he's doing when the people are making these beautiful ornate things. For God, and when they look at each one, they think of the story behind it. They should be thinking of, man, God's presence and love for us, and also God's holiness. And here's why that's important. The reason why that's important is because, maybe you guys can affirm this as well. In our culture, one of the biggest lies in the belief system is that we want the God of love, but we don't want the God of holiness and judgment. And I cannot tell you how many times I will talk to a Christian and we kind of exalt this this I'ma keep can I can I just go there this worldly man centered sense of love absent of holiness and, and judgment. And 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 to be honest, if I can go, go there even more, uh, you know, when I when I when I do church history as a as a theologian and I look at church history and you go through each, you know, you go through each timeline, you see each generation has their kind of heresy, to be honest which is actually actually sad, but a good thing because it shows you we're all broken and God is going to make it all right, and that our, all of our good theology, uh, you know, basically we're all messed up. We all got some bad theology. So throughout history, you see this uh, through how we use gifts, uh, through indulgences, through you can go through all the different things. I'm wondering is that when we get really old, we look back, I wonder if one of our two, two issues of heresy will be the way we talked about the love of God and how we handle finances. I wonder. I wonder with social justice and, and our exaltation of that, and also the issue of how we uh, talk about the love of God. I wonder if that's going I wonder if, if, if people our age are going to go, man, those guys in, in 1990 and 2000, they were tripping. They just really messed up the thing about the love of God. I just wonder, because I'm amazed at how we have to explain over again that when there is consequence for sin, you're not being unloving. You are being godly. That's God. God killed folk for not doing the Sabbath, right? Now I'm not. I ain't gonna kill y'all, but I'm just trying to propose to you. That's the God that we serve. We don't like to hear that. And we, we, we. And I'm, for, I remember one time, just something, just real simple. And this is i uh, I'm just going there because we family. Uh, but one friend was—he's uh, he's with a group of guys, and he's living this North Carolina. And these guys broke into their house and stuff, and and uh, and they were like, and these are and they were like, man, we just—they so, broke into their house, and my one cousin was like, and our, my friend said something really interesting. They were kind of like, man, well, we, we're just glad that uh, they they robbed us, but at least uh, we had something for them to rob. Yeah. And they're just like, and you know what we. Uh, and, and they're like, we're not going to call the police. We're not going to, you know, because we just want to, sh- you know, show them love. And I push back. I say, well, man, I don't mean to be, you know, Debbie Downer, but I want to propose that's not really loving because that's absent of justice. Here's the thing. If you think, oh, that's, you know, they got stuff to rob, and now those brothers out wherever they are thinking, oh, so when I rob folk, there's no consequence. They're going to come to my house. And if you like them stealing your TV, that's cool. But we can't contain that evil. I don't want them stealing my stuff. Because I want to propose, guess what? First of all, don't take my TV. Right? Just keep it shallow for a moment. Right? But then secondly... It doesn't honor God because guess what? That's not a community flourishing when people are taking other people's stuff. That does not retell the story of Christ. God is not honored there. There has to be another way, and that's why I love this body as we are trying to figure out. Now, we ain't throwing everybody in jail and all this stuff, but we're trying to figure out how do you do this thing? How do you do development? How do you help an individual understand that, man, there's a consequence for your actions, and the goal isn't just to tell on you or to have you spend 20 of your life. The goal is for you to learn how to be a functioning, flourishing community member so that Christ can be most exalted. Amen. Right? That's the goal. So we can think, oh, I'm so cute. I'm so godly. I'm just, I, everybody, I just want to love people. say, everybody go do, you, you know? No, dude. You're messing up the community. Yep. You need to call the police. Or, or no, no, this blew me away, and I'm, I'm going to move on. It was like, oh, and we got some friends who know who did it. I said, that's even better. Yep. <laughs> you want to be redemptive? Amen. You remember, you guys know the story when, when um, I don't, it's a car story, but I talk, pastor, get nervous. But I talk about, when the brothers broke my fence, you know, cool thing is we got, you know, by God's grace, we've been here a while now. Guys built some street cred, had three brothers come over to me, say, hey, pastor, man, I'm so mad. Those dudes did that to your fence. I'm going to go find them. And you know, he in the blanks. I said, Man, look, man, I don't want you beating these brothers up, but do you know where they live? He <laughs> said, yeah, man. So about an hour later, that dude's grandmother comes to our house and said, here's the dudes that did it. Here's where they live. So then I go over to the dude's house, and I open up the door, and he saw a ghost. Before, he knew who I was because I actually was chasing him before, but that's not part of the story right now. But um, sorry about that. I didn't know how to fit that in, Pastor, but I was, but I get to the house. I get to the house. He opens up the door, and he's just like, and I'm like, look, man, I'm not, hey, come here, man. I just want to holler at you in the car right quick. You know what I'm saying? Come here, man. I I don't tell you, you know, I ain't, gonna, I'm tell you, I ain't gonna tell your mama right now, but let's talk. Let's see if I need to tell your mama or not. Let's see how you handle. Let's see how you handle. How you handle. If, you, if you're contrite and you wanna change your ways, cause we're talking about development now, right? Amen. Again, I ain't gonna just tell your mama to tell your mama, yep. right? But, like, if you if you acting up, Hey, mom, can you step in? But if this brother, like, man, I was dumb, and he's, okay, I, I would, you know, I'm, I, I've done some dirt. Have y'all ever done no dirt? You know what I'm saying? I praise God for second chances. So I bring him over, and we talk in my car for like 40 minutes. And you got, many of you know the story, man. Two days later, he knocks on my door. He's like, pastor, can I come play basketball in your house? In my backyard. The same dude who broke my fence and was trying to be crazy was like, man, pastor, can I hoop in your backyard? Now, you know, he's been, and we, we talked for a while, sadly, we tried to get him a job. He, he didn't want to get the job, that, but, but I, I will propose to you, that was like four years ago. Our fence hasn't been broke since. And I'm, and I'm hoping that he saw a dude saying, no, nah, man, there's a consequence of what you did. We're going to talk through this. You're going to get right. You're going to apologize. And we had all this stuff, but at the same time, hey, we want to be, we want to model mercy. So, guys, I bring that up because when you look at all this stuff, all this is, all this is God just reminding us of our need. When we, when we sacrifice in the beginning and we wash our hands before we even enter, these are the priests. When the people have to stay out in this wonder and, being, and believing by faith that there's a holy God who's operating the whole world, and he's so holy, I can't even go in and see him. I need, I need a mediator, as it were. And for 1,500 years before our great Jesus came, they had a mediator because I'm too messed up. But I'm I'm messed up and I should be destroyed, but he still won't kill me. He still keeps me while I'm messed up and still allows somebody to mediate for me while I'm messed up and still keeps a relationship with me while I'm messed up. And he does it over and over again, but it continues to remind me of his holiness. Oh, but also his love. So, wow, there needs to be payment, but also he's holy. And this happens over and over again. And then our great Jesus comes. And now, when Jesus comes, man, we shouldn't have to explain as much, right? Because now, what Jesus does, he, he says what God says and he does what God does to validate who he is. And he says, hey, remember all that stuff you were paying for? I'm gonna pay for it. Remember, I'm gonna be the great sacrifice. So, if you're, if you're new here and you're like, what does it mean to be a Christian? We're saying that you're, you're in sin and, and there's a need for a savior, uh, uh, for a provider, for a rescuer. And that's what our great God gives us. And he, he gives us that in Jesus. And that's what he does. So, yes, God is love, but God is holy love. Family, this family, this is a, God has blessed us as shepherd. Please get that. Don't prostitute the word of love. Don't do it. Have God-centered, gospel-centered love for people, okay, guys? Wrestle with that. Think about that. His very provisions present that, indicates, yes, I will draw near to you. You are my people. That's what he's doing. But I will draw near to you. You are my people. Hey, but guess what? I got to forgive you because you're evil. That's a hard thing. But that's the beauty of what he does at the same time. God doesn't take sin seriously is a crazy notion. The whole system is Jesus showing that justice has to be made with love. So that's what you get. We're going to, for the sake of time, we're going we're gonna to pause. Uh, can, we, can, we just, can we just pause there and can I just remind us that that's what God is trying to say to us right now. If you ask So how do we live? How shall we then live? What do you do do with that? Man, I I just want to say, man, just to pause and and to see that the repetition, don't miss this, the repetition in the scriptures here, specifically in chapters 35 to 39, which is retelling what he's done in the previous chapters, the repetition family is the theology. You hear me? The repetition is the theology. Repetition in the Bible is not for you to get bored. It's for your eyes to pop out more why would the holy God keep saying this to me? Okay? And what he's trying to help you see and me see is that God is so loving and he's holy. Okay? Practically, how do you live? Man, we live with a healthy, beautiful reverence for a holy God. But guess what? You live knowing that as you start businesses, as you, as you enter into marriage, as you enter into relationships, as you, man, you, you think about your journey, right? As you're a mom or a dad, as you're a young person in junior high or high school or, or elementary school, and you're, and you're trying to, just, God is trying to teach you how to navigate his world. He wants you to understand something. You're not alone. See, this, I wish I, it, we worked hard on it, so I ain't going to flip it over. He'd kill me if I flip it over. But what I want to do is say, but see, this is all in the person of Jesus now. And so we give ourselves to him. And so now you can navigate elementary and junior high and high school and your jobs and your relationships, knowing that God has he's made his promise and that he fulfilled his promise in the Savior so that you can have extreme confidence that whether a job, relationship, uh, you know, people doing injustice to you, parenting, Any of that stuff, ailments in your life, right? Disease, all that. You have a God who is in it with you and who's intimately involved in your life and you are not by yourself. The presence of God and what he does even more in the scriptures when Jesus dies and rises from the dead, what does he do? I love this. He says, I'm going to send you a comforter. It's not going to be just, oh yeah, God's here and he's, I'm going to, the same Holy Spirit that rose Jesus Christ, our Lord from the dead, in faith, when you become a Christian, he says that Holy Spirit, he lives in you. So that gives you the confidence to know, like, I'm not in this world alone. I actually, and this is not wishful thinking. I have the power of God in me to remind me and validate his faithfulness. So that's how you, that's how you go forth from here. With some confidence with some hope, not arrogance, but knowing you serve a holy God who's in you and who works through you. Can we have the tithe and offering come up? We're going to um, respond by giving to the Lord. An address I want you to write down, Exodus 38. Look at 1 through 8. Blows me away. Man, I feel like I've talked about money in the last two weeks. I don't know what's going on. Don't get nervous, family. But the passage does it, right? That's why we do Get to go through the passage, and what the passage says, I get to preach. So, the passage is preaching about money. I'll tell you about money real quick. Here's what it says. It's interesting. That Can I, can I give you something real quick? This is, this is so crazy to me. Think about how much they got. These, are, these, are, these were uh, slaves um, who came out of Egypt, right? And I'm just blown away at the amount of resources they gave to God. Let me see if I can find it real quick. Um, roughly... Together, theologians will say, they gave roughly, these are people who were slaves in Egypt, a ton of gold, four tons of silver, and three tons of bronze. Some slaves. Isn't that crazy? And I love in, 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 in Exodus 38, 1 through 8, uh, the individual who's giving at that point, let me see if I can find it here. What did, what, what's their role? Hold on. Was a... Uh, was just a, a worker, wasn't, wasn't someone of means at all. It was a woman uh, who took, her, took some mirrors that she had and melted them, and that was used to actually make uh, a, the, the, the stand of the basin for, for, uh, for the Lord here. I mean, that's, that just blows me away. I say all that to say I'm just blown away at the generosity of people when they realize what God has done for them. And, um, and so when you, if you're new here, here's, here's, our, here's our heart. We are we ask you to put your wives to your side. We're just glad you're here. We're not trying to get money from you. So please keep your wives to your side, your purses to your side. We hope you have enjoyed being here in the people of God. Hope you will enjoy when we hang out afterwards. Uh, but yeah, just, this is about the worship for us. So uh, please, if you, if, you're, if you still are trying to understand what that means to worship Jesus, just chill. We're so glad you're here. Mac Average, you get it. We give to God because he's given us everything. Please worship God. And if you are a visitor and you understand that this is worship, give to the Lord. But don't do it out of, out of feeling compelled or emotional or any of that stuff. Make sure that it's, um, it's out of a heart to, to respond to God based on who he is and what he's done so that you can feel encouraged yourself. So a cheerful giver is what our desire is. And that's what was happening actually in Exodus 38. Then what we're going to do is after that, we're going to take our communion. Family...